Welcome to the Student Startup Podcast. We develop first-class students for first-class service. Student Startup is the internship for entrepreneurs, not just for future business owners, but for any student who wants to reject childish ways and spend their years as a student interning as an adult. Well, good evening, everyone. Thank you for tuning in today. Each month this semester, we are diving into a different aspect of life and looking at it through the lens of entrepreneurship. This semester so far, we've talked about education. We've talked about relationships. Here in a few weeks, we'll be talking about approaching your career like an entrepreneur would. But today, our topic is focused on handling money, investing wisely like an entrepreneur. And I'm joined today by one of the most entrepreneurial people I know, my good friend, my mentor, Dr. Kevin Hoppick. Kevin, thanks for giving us some of your time today. Hey, thank you so much for the chance to join with you. It's always a joy to spend time with you, Joe, and have the opportunity to talk about life. And frankly, um, I think you got it a little wrong. I think you're my mentor. I say you're my younger mentor because you keep me fresh, you keep me relevant, and you keep me uh, fit. So I appreciate you. Well, you're too kind. You're too kind. So Kevin, I remember a story you shared with me a couple of years ago, which really kind of stuck in my mind is like, man, that's what it means to approach life with an entrepreneurial mindset. It involved you and your medical practice. It involved a nursing home and a dead tree in the landscaping. Could you share that story with us today? Yeah, that, that's great. And I think just keeping in mind, I mean, being an entrepreneur just simply is looking for ways to bring value to the world around you and the people around you. And you look for those ways where, where there can be a win for uh, others and win for you. So looking to bring value. So I'm sitting and I'm doing work at the, uh, at the office, sitting at, at my office working on paperwork and such. And every day I'm looking out my window and I see across the uh, parking lot, not our parking lot, but the next parking lot, a tree. Now it was a dead pine, the, 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 the leaf blight had happened. And so this pine tree had died. And so every day I'm looking out the window, this dead tree in the side yard of the nursing home next to us. And I said, you know, that tree needs to go. And just something inside me said, you know what? They need that tree gone and frankly, they would be willing to pay to make that tree go away. And I think the lawn boy in me got the best of me. And as I thought about opportunities that my daughter would have, for instance, to actually be able to earn money toward um, going to camp, it would give us the opportunity for um, her to get money for camp. Uh, they get rid of a, an eyesore and I don't have to look at a dead tree anymore. It looked like a win-win situation for everyone. So literally, Dr. Hoppe walks across the, uh, the parking lot, goes over and, and talks them into um, allowing me to, uh, them to pay me to take away their, um, their tree. So within a week, that tree was gone. My daughter gets the money. I get a better look and they have no more uh, dead tree in their, uh, and they have a more beautiful surrounding. So again, looking for opportunities to bring uh, uh, value to other people. Kevin, I, I love that story. It's a little crazy to me though. As a medical doctor, you probably didn't need the 200 bucks that bad. But this, this mindset of looking for ways to create value, you knew what a bigger company would charge to do that. You saw an opportunity to bring your kids on in the journey. It's this crazy thought of like, it just never gets out of your blood. And so what I want to ask you, Kevin, is 
How did it get into your blood? How did you get this virus of entrepreneurship that you haven't been able to kick ever since? That is such a great question. And, uh, you know, it starts out young. I, I think of your daughter, I think of my kids, they catch our values very, very early. And I think I was very similar. And my, my father was entrepreneurial, always looked for opportunities. And I remember one of the early situations, dad would tell the story. I was probably around 10 years old, came to him and said, dad, I want an allowance. He said, well, son, you really don't need an allowance. You don't even need money. What you need is a job. Because if you've got a job, you have the ability to earn that money. You don't need, um, you don't, you just need an opportunity. So he ends up buying me a half of a lawnmower for my birthday. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a half of a lawnmower. I know I hadn't, but he explained that, frankly, that's where I pay for half of it. He pays for half of it, and I get the benefit of a lawnmower. And so at 10 years of age, I take this lawnmower and start working the streets and started earning 10 bucks a lawn and be, learned early on, there were customers that would, they would pay me regularly to come and do a task that they frankly didn't want to do. I didn't mind doing the task and it gave me the opportunity to have value, to actually have money that allowed me to do things that otherwise I would not have had the opportunity to do. So I think dad really taught that early on. And so I think as you start working hard for $10 an hour, when you see an opportunity for to take a tree down for $100, starts to look like a really good deal. You're continually looking for ways in which to provide a service, to provide an honest service for a fair amount, bring value, and then reap rewards uh, for yourself in that. I love that. Kevin, thanks for sharing that. So the other thing I like about your story even before of hearing how that started with Boy Scouts work and upgraded to, to lawn mowing. How did you go from lawn mowing to being a physician? Tell us kind of that piece of the journey. You know, so I don't know about you because I know you were in the lawn business as well is how you got your start. I, neither of us were ever called to be lawn boys. That was not our calling. That was not our life's ambition, but it was a means to get to that calling or that life's ambition. And, and I, you know, I love people. I loved, um, I loved science, was a good student, and I really had a desire to make a difference in people's lives. And, and that all kind of coalesced in the dream of someday becoming a doctor. But I had a huge block in the sense that, you know, I came from a family growing up in a very modest neighborhood in uh, Wichita, where um, we just did not have the money, not the money for college and certainly not the money for med school. We knew what that was going to take. And, and I remember saying to dad, this is what I really wanted to do. And he said, that's fine, but just understand that we're not going to be able to buy that for you. You're going to have to provide. And I think sometimes the need or that hunger of recognizing there's something that is even greater that you want to do will sometimes spur within us a drive and even a, an imagination, a creativity to look for ways to make that happen. And that certainly was the case as it related to that. And, and so work was always a part of my life and looking for ways to save money that then would allow me to realize my, my dream of becoming a physician. So how did you pay for medical school? You mentioned your dad, um, you mentioned a little bit of savings, but how, how could a $10 a lawn pay for medical school. You know, there's a lot of students listening here who may say, hey, it sounds nice, but I've got big goals and not very much money. Is it actually possible? Walk us through like how you innovated and created something that, that could make your dreams possible. Well, keep in mind, you're not going to achieve some 
great financial success overnight. It really is a lifestyle. It's a philosophy. And it's something that is diligent in it. And it seems slow getting started. And it takes years. But the fact of the matter is you can grow and, you, and, and take advantage of the opportunities that come your way and come to a really a better place. So I think um, as a sophomore in high school, I had started working for a painter and was working in the summertime full time for the painter. But Joe, I had uh, I had kept my the few lawns that I had been doing regularly, and I continued to do that on the side. So I'd work eight hours, and then at the end of the workday, usually I'd spend about two hours mowing the the lawns that I have. And I learned something really early on, and that was I could make as much in the two hours working for myself as I did eight hours working for um, the other guy. So, so Kevin, it sounds like you weren't only good at science, you were also decent at math. Is that right? It was math, you know, like, so, you know, the better deal was let's focus on the two hours. And my, the calculus was this, that if next year I would get twice as many lawns at the same rate, I could get the same amount of money. Well, I could actually earn twice as much money in just four hours rather than the the eight. So actually, I chose to do that, doubled my lawns the next year. And that same philosophy continued year after year after year. So every year, I doubled a, a number of lawns that I had. And so pretty soon, there was more lawns. By the time I graduated from high school, there were actually more lawns that I needed to take care of than I could do on my own and brought a a buddy on board and paid him to mow with me. And so really, by the time we are into college, you know, I've got three guys working full time um, with me. And that was enough. That was enough to actually cover the cost of college in real time. Unbelievable. Cash flowing college, cash flowing medical school. Unbelievable. So friends, let's track with that, right? So we, we went from a Boy Scout selling popcorn to a lawn boy to a lawn care business owner with several employees to college. And then tell us that last little bit from college to med school. Yeah. So the med school was actually in Kansas City. So this is where I began to learn that um, it was going to be critically important that I had someone who would actually manage that as well. And so being able to hire one of my early employees to be the manager, they would then care for the the day-to-day operations of the business. I continue to maintain customer support as well as doing all of the billing and the back office work. And that gave me the ability to continue to have a steady income stream during medical school. And again, allowed me to be one of those unusual situations where I, I actually was able to come out of medical school not just without debt, but also with a thriving business and uh, was able to sell that business later on for to purchase most of the first house that we moved into. Students who are listening, I hope you caught that. One of the keys to being successful financially, one of the keys to building wealth is owning things, right? Owning assets, a business, a rental property, a home, right? Something that is producing for you and for others. And it's, it's neat to see how Kevin built this asset, which he was then able to sell and then buy his next asset. I love that, man. So as we, as we think about this specific topic of like handling finances, one of my observations is on occasion, you'll see an entrepreneur who's really good at making money, but better at spending money, right? They think in terms of production in their business, but when they get their money, they put on their consumer hat and it's just, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to spin through it. It's 
the way they use their personal money, like they would never spend money in their business the way they spend it in their, in their personal life. So walk me through this, right? So you've worked hard your whole life. You are now a successful physician with some money in the bank. I mean, many people would say, Hey, this is the time to live it up and to, you know, go on fancy vacations and buy new cars. How did your view of money change once you started having more of it? Well, and I don't know if it started, I don't know if it changed when I had more of it. I think I, I think I recognized early on that, um, you know, that money was neither good nor inherently good or evil, but it was very powerful and it was a tool that could be used for good or it could be used for evil. And, and quite frankly, recognizing and having the respect for money and recognizing that it would buy me some opportunities later on caused me to be frugal early on. And, it's not that I really thought that I wanted to deprive myself of all the joy in life. That was never it. It was just making sure that I was going to spend my money on things that really mattered, things that I really cared about, because I knew what it took. I knew what it took to make that money. It made me a lot slower to spend that. And so I never felt, and maybe that's, that's why as a, a well-off physician, I still have that same respect and approach for what money can provide and what it can't provide and what it can't provide is is joy yeah you know it can certainly make give us some opportunities but happiness would never come with a pile of money and frankly we recognize and joe we talked about this a lot that we really don't believe ourselves to be owners of, of that money that money is is not ours it is it is all is the lord's and we have the opportunity to steward it and steward it well and frankly i think that someday you and i'll give account to um how we how we use that tool how we use those blessings that god has given us and um, so that always stands back there i want to be a good steward of all of my resources and that means buying things doing things with that money that are going to be meaningful uh, that are going to bring joy that'll bring opportunity to others and will make in many ways our society a better place hmm. kevin i want to lean into a few specific kind of money hacks and and tips and really kind of what you did and what you would advise others to do. And, and as, as we ask Kevin to do this, you know, you'll, you'll see this rhythm every month where we take a, take a story from an entrepreneur and we connect it back to these principles, these entrepreneurial principles that can be applied to all of life. And, you know, Kevin's hit on one of them already. This idea of you got to be hungry. You can never lose your hunger to do two things. One is to serve people, look for opportunities. And two is to steward resources. To Kevin's point, all belongs to God. We are merely stewards. How we use his resources really matters. Time, money, gasoline in your tank, all of it belongs to him and we are stewards. So let, let's keep diving in, Kevin. So tell us more about just kind of general principles for making the most of, of what we have. Yeah. So, so before even we get to investing, let's just talk a little bit about money and money management. The, I think the most basic concept that I, if I only had one thing that I wanted a person to get tonight is to learn to live within their means. And what does that mean? Well, to me, it means always, or I should say never living on more than 80% of the money that you bring home. So whatever your take home check is, your budget, your spending plan needs to be for 80% 
of that check, of that amount, no more than 80%. Now, it could be less than that. You might choose to live on um, 50%. Now, that's a little bit crazy. I would tell you that's actually what my wife and I did in the first years of our marriage, and uh, we chose to live on 50% of what we brought in. We live very, very, very frugally, and, and that allowed us a lot of margin for saving, investing, but that that I'm, I'm not sure as I look back at that, that that was as healthy as maybe 80%. So the reason 80%, 10% of that I believe still needs to be in the generosity category. I think we need to live on no more than 80%, but we provide 10% of that then for generosity. For me, that's the tie. That is our uh, the tenth that we give to our church, and I think that's an important piece. Even if the church was not an important part of your life, giving is such an important discipline. And frankly, I call it greed insurance. It allows us to have others focus, focus on others more than just ourselves. So that ten percent is really an important piece that needs to be given away. We can talk more about that after a while. But that other ten percent is really what we use for the savings and the investing. So if you can save 10% of what you earn uh, at all times, it's a slow methodical race to, um, to abundance. And I would promise you that if, for our listeners, if they can learn and always live on no more than 80% of what they bring in, invest or save 10% of that, give away the other 10%, not only will they be healthy, I believe they will be wealthy and they will always have more than they they need. And pretty soon you are able to then allow your money to start working hard, even as you continue to work hard. So I hope you guys heard that this idea of work hard for your money and let your money work hard for you. Let, let's talk a little bit about how to invest, right? So the, the most important thing is what Kevin just shared is how much you save, how much you invest. When you're younger, you don't have a whole lot of bills, you can save more. When you have a young family, you, you may only be able to save 10%, which is a great place to be as well. So Kevin, what are wise investments that, that young people should be making? Well, first of all, debt is the anti-investment. So if we are carrying any kind of debt, it is actually sucking our wealth away from us. And so debt is to be eliminated at the very earliest thing. So if we have only $100 to do something with, it would be much wiser to pay off any kind of credit card debt, any kind of car debt, or anything else that is taking money from us. And so I think that becomes really critically important. And I also think even before you get to, to the investing, you need to save. You've got to save a certain amount because frankly, life happens. And so having a three to six month buffer of cash to replace the tire that blows or to replace the um, alternator in your car or perhaps to buy a new lawnmower when it throws the rod. I mean, you know, it's just going to be important that you have a buffer of savings. What do you think is the right amount there, Joe? Well, it depends on the the stage of life. So like the the principle Kevin shared is agreed on by most well-versed financial advisors is this idea of three to six months of your expenses. Let's think about it. If you're 15 though, what real expenses do you have if you're in an emergency, right? So if something happens, well, in, in most families, your parents will still feed you. Um, maybe you have to turn off your cell phone. So if you've got low bills, I'd say $500 is plenty. 
if you are a college student living on your own with a $700 a month rent, maybe four to $5,000 is better. But to Kevin's point, if something bad happens, which by the way, that's the world we live in, bad things happen, are you ready for a rainy day? If bad things happen, can you survive for three to six months until you figure out your next deal? That'd be a good amount to have in reserves. And the rest of it, let's get it working for you. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. Now, the only thing I would add to that is that you have some expenses that you just know are going to happen. You know that there that you know if you're driving a 1995 Toyota and it's on its last leg, you know it would be wise to maybe save up three thousand dollars, four thousand dollars for that next used car that you know you're going to have to purchase. So if there's an expense or a purchase that's in the near future, you definitely don't want to invest that money because you're going to need it. And the last thing you want to do is to go into debt on a predictable expense that's coming up. So rather than invest and tie up money, you're actually going to want to save for those expected costs that you can see in the foreseeable future. What do you think about that? Well, I think you're exactly right. And I want to lean in on to what you're talking about here when it comes to debt. So let's let's talk about this. Let's say you've got a $20,000 saved and you're making 5% interest on that. That means every year you are earning $1,000 with doing no work. For us former lawn boys, we know how much effort, how much sweat it takes to earn $1,000, right? So really people are, are renting your money from you and they're paying you $1,000. You did no work. But check this out. If you buy a car or if you take out a credit card for 5% interest, which by the way, that's really low. Usually it's 15% or something like that. Let's just say it's five though. That means you're paying them $1,000 and you're not getting anything. You're not getting a nicer car. You're not getting more food or more clothes. You're paying them $1,000 to borrow their money from them. That's expensive. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And so that's why we've got to turn that equation on its head, allow our money to be working for us rather than us working for that money. Sometimes being a little bit patient to go ahead and get a better deal or being patient to go ahead and pay for something completely makes a whole lot more sense than getting that car that we want early, but having to do it on payments. So much better to wait a little longer and, and do that purchase for cash and not have to go into debt. So, so again, I think our principles always make a, a spending plan no more than 80% of what you bring in, giving away 10%, you're going to invest or save the difference. You're going to raise up a, an appropriate amount of cushion of cash for unexpected things happening. You're going to save money for the expected expenses. And then, and only then, are you in a position to say, I've got more money than I need. And so therefore, what will I do with that? I just read a book about two, two years ago and um, gave it to each of my kids, my son-in-laws, my daughter-in-laws, and it's called The Simple Path to Wealth. It mirrors some of the same concepts, but they pointed out something I thought was really easy. Most of us are not investment advisors. Most of us aren't great at picking stocks. Most of us don't know the, the, the first thing about professional money management. And so why not let the forces of the market and the tools um, work for us. So there's this thing called mutual funds and a mutual fund is where there's someone else who purchases a whole bunch of stocks that look a lot like the market. 
So for instance, when you listen to the news and you hear them talking, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 5% today, or the S&P 500 is 5% down today. What they're talking about is the market as a whole, all the companies in the United States are then in this S&P 500, 500 of the top companies in, in, the, in the United States. And it says, what's happening to the whole market? Is it going up and is it going down? Well, there are mutual funds that allows you to be a part of that market. And so even at $100 a month, I can purchase my portion of that market. And so when the market goes up 5%, my investment goes up 5%. When the market goes down 25% in a quarter, mine goes down 25% in a quarter. But over time, it averages about 10% to 12% per year over the last 40 years. And so you can see gently by adding $100 a month to this mutual fund and just leaving it alone, it just grows and grows and grows and your money then begins to work for you pretty magical. People have called that the eighth wonder of the world. Joe, let me let me add it, give, give you one just really personal example from, from my standpoint. My father, um, on October 27th of 1956, came into some money and it wasn't a lot of money. I mean, it was $676, $676. And so he actually bought a mutual fund. It was called the Windsor Fund at that time, or maybe it was the Wellington Fund uh, with Vanguard. Literally, he just bought $676 and then left it alone. He didn't do anything to it ever. He, he never touched it. And every time there would be a payout, he would just use that to buy more of that mutual fund. And so he never took any distributions. It all went back, plowed in there. It stayed in there from 1956 to, well, now 2022. He still has never touched it, but that $676 through those years is now worth $435,000, almost a half a million dollars. And that's him putting $676 in and not touching it. That's it. Well, and this is why this is so exciting, right? I don't know how old your dad was when he did that. Probably pretty young, mid-30s perhaps. Yeah. When you're thinking about investing, there's a couple of different factors. How much you put in, what rate of return, but the third one is is how long it's in. It was in there for 40, 50 years, 60 years. And friends that are listening who are 19 years old or 21 years old or 16 years old, if you can start that today, you'll hit that mark when you're 50 instead of when you're 80. Yeah. Well, no, actually, that's exactly right. I did the math earlier today. And I said, if you were 15 years of age, so if you're a, so if you're a sophomore in high school and you began really modestly, $100 a month going into a mutual fund, $100 a month, and you don't stop, you just continue it. By the time you retire at age 65, that is $1.4 million. Every 15-year-old here could be a millionaire times two if they simply would go ahead and put $100 aside into the market, walk away and forget about it. And it's amazing, y'all, where you can find $100. So I want to get back into Kevin's story of, of buying assets and being an owner. But before I do, it's amazing how much money we spend on things we don't really value that much. So Kevin, I want to ask you, what are some things that you skimped on, that you, that you saved money on, that you didn't even miss? 
Well, I told you early on that, you know, I understood the value of money. And so for me, I, and it doesn't change today. I mean, I, I think I go through the drive through um, on a trip and I'll get a hamburger, but seldom will I get the fries and, and usually I'll get a, a cup of water. Why? It just doesn't bring the value. Now, if there's things that I really enjoy, things that I really would bring me great joy or would create an environment that allows for relationships to flourish and that I'll pay significant amounts for a nice dinner with my wife to create an environment for great conversation and to improve our, our, um, our marriage. But I'm not going to do that when it just doesn't matter. And one of the things that really doesn't matter early on was a flashy uh, red sports car. I, I laugh um, that, you know, early in my marriage, um, my wife and I, we, we had a vet but it wasn't a Corvette, it was a Chevette. It was this $200 car that we had bought <laughs> that wasn't running and we uh, got that thing up and running and it gave us the opportunity to have transportation to our, to our jobs. And then we're able to build the nest egg that allowed for us then to have the home that we, well, to build the house of our dreams, to take and do great family vacations on the coasts, to have the opportunity to make a substantial impact in the lives of other people in uh, various parts of the, of the world and in our own community. So, you know, it, it's not that I, I think we should not spend money. It's just that I think we should really spend our money wisely and spend it on the things that bring real value to our families and to those people around us. And that's exactly the way entrepreneurs think. There's this concept in business called uh, cost cutting versus waste elimination. As they say, if you want to lose weight, you can cut off your arm. Not a great idea. Not a great idea. With a, with a medical professional on the line, not a great idea. Not a great idea. So some businesses, they think, they're okay, well, we need to cut costs by 10%. No, 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 no. Good entrepreneurs, they look for any way they can to eliminate waste. Anything that doesn't help them reach their, their vision, anything that doesn't help them serve customers. And in that same way, we are ruthless about like anything that's not creating value. How do we eliminate that so we can spend resources better elsewhere? That's great. And, and I think the other thing is allowing your, not allowing your, uh, your appetite to exceed your uh, your budget. And so a lot of all of us look forward to the day when money is not going to be an issue and when we'll be able to afford some of the things that would uh, that are, are are nicer. But you know, be patient with that. I always believe that if I could always make sure that my lifestyle lagged about 3 years behind my capacity, it really would make a difference. And I found that to be the case um one among my colleagues, a lot of times folks would would go through medical school and they're and they're they're scrimping the saving they're leaving they're living you know really really modestly all of a sudden they get a good salary as a physician they buy a huge home buy a new car and then they're still in debt and they are under financial stress the financial stress doesn't go away where i learned that if we simply waited for about 3 years to then allow our lifestyle to catch up with our capacity we always were about three years behind. And in doing so, we always could afford to pay cash for the things that were important to us, including our, our dream home. And that's another one of the principles we talk about so much is thinking long-term, right? So we, we've heard this whole like, well, think 50 years in the future and think about what your mutual fund could do. But even just three years in the future, friends, I want you to hear this. If you can even think in, in high school, 
three months in the future, you know, six months, but three to five years in the future, if you can just think, what will myself three years from now thank me for? Let's do that today. It's really not that hard and it gets a big return over the long run. Yeah. I heard a very interesting um, story from a, um, a physician that was, well, two really quickly. Um, one was a physician who had determined that though he would work as a physician, he would live like one of his employees. In other words, live a lifestyle that was substantially less than what his capacity was. And they took the difference and were able to fund a hospital in Zimbabwe um, and to provide medical care for those who could simply not afford it. So they took that and leveraged the difference to go ahead and fund radical generosity, which I thought was really, really cool. And there was another group of folks that had just finished a Harvard Business School and they made a pact that they would not live on more than three times the um, average income of an American. And in doing so, even though they might make a million dollars a year, they would never live on more than $150,000 a year and take the, the difference uh, there and, in, and invest in their communities, invest in their church and in other uh, ways that really grew society and made a substantial difference in this world. They were among the happiest people that you would ever, ever see. Yeah, you know, this could be its own podcast, thinking about like how to use economic capital and turn it into relational capital and spiritual capital. But I want to lean into what Kevin just said. You can use money to serve people all over the world. And this is not just charity. You're able to serve them. And what does the Bible say? It says it's more blessed to give than to receive. The level of happiness and joy that you get from generosity is unmatched by any type of consumption. So thank you for for bringing that home. And may, maybe we'll get lucky and bring you back here in a couple months and talk more about that. Joe, can I ask you a quick question? Because I know that there was a time when there was a dream to go ahead and bring value to young men and women um, who themselves would have the opportunity to be entrepreneurial and to make difference in their community. And I know that there was a time when, frankly, you were not making the big bucks. And yet you made a determination. You made a determination to give substantially, generously, even almost irresponsibly to help to fund a get student startup off from the very beginning. That generosity was so substantial, so powerful that it motivated other people to then match that and to also give to provide that. Um, so how is it that what motivated you to take your hard earned money that frankly, at that point, you really didn't have the excess. It was needed. Uh, you were cutting some bone when you decided you would use your financial capital to take and build social capital. Tell us a little bit about that decision that you and your wife made. There's this story in the Bible that tells the story of a, of a man who found a treasure in the field. And he went home with great joy to sell everything he had to go buy that field. And what, what that's talking about is it's a, it's a picture of the true riches, which are found in Jesus Christ, where you are willing to deny yourself, to take up your cross and, and follow Jesus with joy, because you know, it's worth so much more than what you have today. And so to be honest, Kevin, it was a little bit selfish of me to do that because I knew whether this grew to serve 10,000 students or if it was just the two students we started off with, I knew 
that it would be a blessing back to us. Not saying that, you know, God's going to make you a millionaire if you're generous, but the intangible blessings, the, the joy of, of Andrea and I being able to partner in ministry together, the joy of seeing students develop and, and see all that they are and all that they have to be used for the glory of God and the good of others. So to be honest, at the time, God had given me just such faith that this is what he was calling us to do and that he would use it. It was kind of a no brainer. Wow. And, and he has used that. And I continue to be inspired by your example. Um, uh, and, and so and, and you just make other people want to join you to be a part of that. I'm so grateful for the, the students that have chosen to be part of this, um, of this organization and who are tuning in tonight. Because I'm going to tell you a little secret, and that is when you learn to live and think entrepreneurial, when you understand that God has given us resources, capacity, he's given us, he's given us tangible things that we have the ability to use. And when we use that with some drive, some effort, the benefit comes. And here's the deal. Joe, you and I, our bank accounts may fluctuate and we have, may have more money or we may have less money, but I'm telling you something, you and I and all of those people who, who see themselves as entrepreneurial will never be poor because they always know they're just an opportunity away from being able to get the resources that are needed to take care of their family. That gift of understanding that we are able to use that, the, the blessings that are in our hands, those things that we have right here, we're able to use that is absolutely freeing for us as well as to those all around the world. Well, that is a great transition, Kevin, to the question that I wanted to ask you next. I'm going to I'm going to provide a little color commentary on a few pretty exciting pieces of, of Kevin's entrepreneurial story, which led to a lesson about entrepreneurship that I think we can all learn from. But as, as you've heard, Kevin went from a Boy Scout selling popcorn to a lawn boy, to a business owner, to a college student, to a medical student, to selling his business, becoming a doctor. What I know from your story as well, Kevin, is that you took some of that money that you had saved. You did your mutual funds. You also became an owner. You, you actually bought into the practice and became an owner in the doctor's office you, you worked for. A few years later, there was an equity event where you got some cash from that event. You used those funds to invest in other businesses. And eventually, you introduced me to this concept called mailbox money. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about mailbox money. And then, we'll, then I want to hear what you used that mailbox money on recently. Yeah. So those are some big terms. And I just real simply is that when you, you may find that Two different times. One was with my lawn business. I was when I was able to sell the lawn business. We were able to take that value and actually purchase a good portion of the first home that we um, that we owned, and that was an opportunity to take um, the equity that was in the business and use that in a in a way that was going to really bring value to our to our family. The other time was an opportunity where we saw some changes in in medicine and determined that it was important that we merge or that we combine our efforts with a hospital system and um, be part of what we call a vertical integrated system. Well, in doing so, they paid us for the value that was in in the medical practice instead of again spending that money. I chose to take and make two rather large investments, one in a bank and another one in a medical real estate. Fortunately, through a number of years and a lot of work with that, we've seen that amount 
become 10 times that. And so very, very helpful. It is allowed what we call mailbox money is when your money is going to work for you and those dividends begin coming in on a monthly basis. We call it creating various streams of income uh, beyond just your daily job. So it may be such that through the investments that you make, um, that before long, you are making a, a good portion of your monthly income from these investments. So they come, uh, your money is working as hard as you are. And that is, is our blessing. So then the question, when we have more than enough, what do we do with that? And again, God, I think, gives us as stewards the opportunity to be a part of what he is doing. And you have seen the need or the, the, the joy of creating entrepreneurs in our own community. I've seen desperate poverty in Rwanda and Burundi and Congo um, through some work that I have with um, Evangelical Friends Mission. And when I saw that, you were absolutely compelled to do something to create an opportunity for those who believe that poverty is just a part of life. Dependency is just who they are. They will always be poor farmers. They'll never have the opportunity and they don't see that as being a, an option for their own children. And that broke my heart along with the hearts of a number of individuals who started something called Discipling for Development. And it's that concept of, of looking to see what we have in our own hands and trying to make something more valuable with that in order to then make life better for our own family. So it, it looks something like this. We have a poor pastor who lives in a poor village with poor people. And when someone was in, a, in desperate need, they would come to the poor pastor and say, I need money for medicine so that my child can be treated for the pneumonia. And the pastor weeps and says, I'll pray for you. But of course, I have no money because I'm a poor pastor in a poor church in a poor community among poor people. And um, there came a point where that pastor was so tired so dissatisfied, so discontented with just simply saying, we'll just pray for you, that they decided, surely there's something I can do that would tangibly improve the lives of my parishioners and my own family. And so they determined, he and his wife determined that they ate two meals a day. Well, they said, you know, if we would take and eat only one meal a day and save that, that amount of money, at least after a few weeks, we could buy a pair of guinea pigs. And if you know what guinea pigs, anything about guinea pigs, you know there's one thing guinea pigs do really, really well, and that's make more guinea pigs. And so those two guinea pigs became a dozen guinea pigs, and then there's a market for the guinea pigs in the market. So they would sell the guinea pigs, and from the guinea pigs, they then purchased a goat, a pregnant goat, and there's something else about goats. They've generally produced two little ones every um, every year. And so pretty soon, you know, the one goat became three goats, became five goats. And um, so when a, one of the poor folks came and said, look, um, I want to send Joey to school next year. They said, well, I have no money, but I do have this pregnant goat. Why don't you take the pregnant goat home? And when she has a baby, when she has her two babies, bring mama and the little one back to me, sell the other one in the market, and your son will have the opportunity to go to school. Again, taking what is in their hands and using that to make life better. Well, that's God's way. That's the plan of God to help encourage us 
to take that those blessings that he's given and leverage that to make our lives better as well as the lives of those around us. So we saw this concept play out and so that now folks who didn't have anything before now have farms that are producing produce, that have um, cows that are producing milk and their family is better, they're living in, in better structures and there's a level of, of hope, there's a level of worth, there is a sense that God has provided this blessing and there is an increased awareness of who he is. There's a level of peace. Marriages are stronger. Families are stronger. Kids are thriving. Education is improving. And we're seeing that improving all around. So we can take some of the excess cash that I've got through those investments and I'm able to create environment where entire villages have the opportunity to understand that they can be all that God intended for them to be and take advantage of all of the resources that God has placed in their hands. And it's like one of the most satisfying and fulfilling things that I've ever been a part of. Kevin, I love that story on so many different levels. I think one of the big takeaways is that there is an entrepreneur inside of everyone. In the same way that God has created us, he has created us in his image to create other things, to create value, to be fruitful and multiply, to work with your hands, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, so that you are able to share with others. And this idea of how do you do that? And the how is what's missed so often. Yes, it's frugality. That was kind of step one, went from two meals to one meal. Yes, it was hard work, but it was also owning assets. It was owning things that produced more, which produced more. And then, you know, when, when the goat had or when the chickens had, you know, 10 babies over the year, they didn't eat them all. They reinvested. They, they kept going. And I can't help but see the parallels in your own story, Kevin, and our listeners, students. I hope you see your own story in Kevin's story. This idea of starting with a babysitting business or a window washing business or selling your artwork on someplace like myforsale.com. It's starting there and leveling up, looking for ways to constantly level up, sharpening your skills, look for ways to contribute more so that you'll have more to share with others. Kevin, do you have any final thoughts as we close up our time today? I just want to encourage people to recognize that most of what I learned about money, investing, working, came as a lawn boy, not as a doctor. It's the principles that we've talked about today that if they're patient, if they're diligent, if they're faithful, if they're hungry, if they're humble, they find not only will there be enough to take care of their own family, that there will be more than enough. They have the opportunity to bless those around them and not just with money, but frankly, with joy and happiness, with security. And again, I hope they are taking, would take some uh, and, and recognize that you create spiritual capital, even as you create economic capital and that that is um, becomes maybe some of the more important things that you have in life. So yes, it's important. This entrepreneur continue to grow, be patient, be diligent, be creative. And uh, I think you'll find a level of, of satisfaction in life that I think most folks can only dream about. Kevin, that's a great place to end. Thank you for being a model of being entrepreneurial in all parts of life, not only creating value economically, but also relationally and most importantly, spiritually. Students, thank you for showing 
humility by spending 45 minutes of your time listening to this podcast, learning from people like Kevin. Continue to do that. Continue to think long-term and you'll be glad you did. Kevin, thank you again for spending your evening with us. Thank you.